0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thank you for being here today. If you've not been with us over the past few weeks, we've been in a series around disciple and what it means to be a disciple or marks of a disciple or characteristics of a disciple and looked at that through a couple of different ways over the past couple of weeks. Today, I wanna to look at what Jesus said about being a disciple in regards to specifically loving one another and what that looks like for each one of us. Over the last 20 years, a guy named Dan Buettner has been uh, doing a study on the secrets of the blue zones and uh, there actually is a netflix documentary that's out now if you want to go watch it later but a blue zone is there's five blue zones around the world with the highest concentration of centenarians those over the age of 100 and in each one of these zones they have a huge concentration of 100 year olds or greater and dan researched each one went and traveled to each one and then wrote a book and then they turned it into a documentary and every Area is marked by a couple things that you would assume, right? Uh, Good nutrition, right, would would mark that. But they don't really track their macros or their calories or anything else. They they just eat pretty simply. Um, You would think exercise would be a huge thing, and it is, but nobody belongs to a gym. Um, They just walk a lot. They garden, do pretty menial tasks, but yet it's really helpful for them long-term. They don't sit in lazy boy recliners in Okinawa, Japan. They just sit on the floor. Uh, they're 100 years old, and they're just sitting on the floor still. And, but one thing was consistent across all five of the zones, uh, and that is community. Community marked every single zone in some way. In Okinawa, they have where when you're a four or five-year-old kid, they put you in a pod with other four and five-year-olds for the rest of your life. And whether you like them or not or get along with them, those are your people. And those are the ones that are there to help you. And they interviewed many of them asking how that went. And some of them lost people in World War II and they continued on uh, because now they're over 100. And so uh, in Sardinia, Italy, they don't have retirement homes. They just all band together and take care of the elders in the community. And as he went around from each zone around the world, you notice that there was an element of every single one of them where it involved community. And today, uh, over a fourth of Americans suffer from loneliness. And that loneliness has been attributed to up to a 15-year reduction in life expectancy. The same thing if you smoke cigarettes. It's the same impact on your health. And there's a reason why God built us to live in community. If you look at Galatians, he says we're to bear one another's burdens. If you look at Romans and Hebrews, he says we're to care for each other's practical needs. In 1 Thessalonians, he says we should warn each other of sin and rejoice with each other and mourn with each other. And those are all things that have to be done together. And in our individualistic society, we find ourselves really struggling to connect in genuine community. And this only happens when we let other people into our lives and you're willing to share your own. Well, there's a number of reasons why we avoid community. I came up with five of my own. You probably have a whole lot more. Here's the five I came up with to see if you resonate with any of these. Number one, uh, we're busy. We don't do community and we don't love one another because we're busy and we don't have time. And in our culture, we wear busyness as a badge of honor, right? The busier you are, the better you are. And actually, I was talking to a friend the other day about how busy I was. And he said, you realize that's your fault, right? And I was like, oh, ouch, that hurt. But it is. We do it to ourselves. But we're busy. Number two, it's uh, messy and it's weird, right, to involve your life with other people's lives. I think of that uh, Henry Nowen quote, community is the place where the people you least want to be with always show up. And maybe that's family for you. Maybe that's community. But it's the people where all they all show up. Now, if you don't know, if you're sitting there and you're like, everybody else is weird, and I'm not really sure who the weird person is in my group, if you don't know, it's probably you, right? But it's just weird. It's messy. When you entwine your lives with other people, it's going to cost you something. We're going to talk more about that here in just a minute. Number three, I don't want to mitigate this, but we've been hurt, right? We've been hurt by churches, or we've been hurt by other people, And I certainly don't wanna minimize that today for you if that's you, but if you had a bad doctor, um, you would go find a new doctor. You wouldn't write off all doctors. And in the same way, we can't just write off community because one time we had a bad experience and it didn't translate into a better experience because that's what God's called us to do. And that's the reality this morning is if we're gonna be a disciple, we're called to love one another and you can't love one another from your couch or at least it's really hard to do that. You can do it for a time, but you can't do it long term. Uh, Number four is it takes effort, right? We just got other stuff going on. It takes effort to build into the lives of other people. It takes effort to involve them in your life and to share those things. And then the last one is we just don't know how. After a number of years of living in an individualistic culture, we've just lost the ability to to interact with people well. COVID did us no favors during that time, right? We we realized we needed community, but it pulled us away and so we find ourselves kind of trying to reengage with one another and it's awkward and it's weird and it's messy and it hurts and but it's what God's called us to do. Take a look at John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 where it's been just a moment here and then we'll spend the rest of our time in 1st Thessalonians, but Jesus gives this command. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you're looking for the discipleship test of whether you really love Jesus and whether you're living in a ways that he wants you to, this is the test. Do you love God and do you love other people? And does your love move and motivate you to go do something about it, right? That's what happens with God. God was so loved you that he sent his son Jesus to die on your behalf. That was love that was sent in motion. And he invites all of us to do exactly the same today. And by that love, he says, by this, the world will know that you're my disciples. And so as we talk about being a disciple of Jesus, it is our love for one another that is evidence of our love for Jesus. And it's our evidence of our love for each other. And it's really hard to do that from your couch. I wish there was a better way, but this is the way God designed it. And so today I want to give you a practical example from Paul's life in First Thessalonians of this command. So Jesus just used this command to his believers. Remember, Paul came around much later, and so, but he picked up on this as an essential component of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter one is where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. If you want to flip over there, if you remember, the Apostle Paul uh, went on a variety of missionary journeys. Uh, there'll be a map behind me so you can see it. If you remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul thinks he's going to go to Asia, so that way. And instead, he has this vision of a Macedonian man, and he heads over towards Berea and Thessalonica, Athens, and Corinth right? So Paul thinks he's going one way. God redirects his path. If you want to read this week, if you're looking for a place to read in your Bible, read Acts chapter 17. It's the cliff note version of what happens in Thessalonica. And as that happens, he ends up in Thessalonica. Well, then these people find out he's there. They don't like him there. So they drive him out and he goes to Berea. Well, then the mob follows him to Berea and they drive him out to Athens. Then they find him in Athens and then they push him to Corinth. And here's the thing, whether Paul was in the city for a day or a year and variety of uh, differences between the places he visited, he always did the same thing. He would go into the synagogue and try and reason with the Jews to help them see that Jesus was the Messiah. He would share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with people around him. And so he always did this, whether it was a short time or a long time. And in each place, he showed his love in a tangible way. I often think, just being truly transparent this morning, if I just meet you for like an hour, I'm like, okay, I wanna be a nice person, but I'm probably not gonna be with you very long. That was not the case with Paul. And one of the things that I was studying this week is confronting me was that he treated everybody the same. In Thessalonica, he was literally there just a short time before they started driving him out because they were mad. And he treated them the same way that he did the Corinthians. And so he was there for years and everywhere in between. And so as people, we got to understand that God calls us to love people, no matter how long we're with them or what the situation may be. I often keep people at an arm's length for a time until I know that I'm going to be around you enough. And then it's when I want to start showing love. But that's not what the apostle Paul did. Well, in 1 Thessalonians, he was there so short of a time that he had to write the letter to him to kind of finish up what he was talking about. And he couldn't get back there because they kept trying to persecute him. And this was the case all throughout Macedonia, which is modern day Greece. And that was just the case is that everywhere he went, they were trying to persecute him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul recognizes that some people had questioned his motives for being there. And his letter was a response back to that. And about midway through the letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where we're going to spend our time this morning, he gives this response to why he was there. And it's helpful to see that this was the motivation or this was the driving factor. Paul understood the command to love one another. And then it actually played out in his life. So often, I know the command of Jesus, and I'm sure you do too, but our lives may not always match up with it. And so Paul gives us this picture today that I hope is an encouragement to you. I hope it's a chance for you to look at your own life too and evaluate how you're doing. He says in verse 7, the second part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul gives us three distinctions in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. There's actually probably more, but these are three that stood out as we read through this. He says, and he looks for an example, and the example that Paul gives is to show his love and concern for these people. He says that his love was like a nursing mother who cared for her child. A nursing mother who cares for her child is literally giving of herself. The first mark of community and what we look at on how we love one another is that community requires sacrifice. Community requires sacrifice. And for a nursing mother, that's the case, right? She literally gives of herself so that the child can thrive. She literally gives of herself so that the child can survive, And Paul says that's what he did in the midst of persecution and in the midst of everything happening in this world that he lived in, his goal was to love them and care for them in such a way that it could be described as how a nursing mother cares for her child. There was gentleness, there was care, there was concern. And he looks at these people and he says, this is the way that he loved them. Genuine love finds its expression in helping people. And that's what Paul says. So we cared for you so much in verse eight. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. When we think that genuine love finds its expression in helping people, we understand that just as a nursing mother cares for her child, that's how Paul cared for these people. And he didn't know them that long. He didn't even know them that long. And so when you think about what that means for Paul, the other reality is for us, sometimes there's many in the room, the old adage is that nurses make the worst patients, right? We're so busy helping everybody else that we often fail to take care of ourselves. And that's a good reminder today because just as a nursing mother cares for her child, the mother has to take care of herself as well. And for you and for me, sometimes we all want to help people, We want to do everything we can to help people, but we often don't take care of ourselves. And so the idea that Jesus has called us to be connected, like John 15, the vine and the branches, right? We want to take care of our own selves so that we can help and care for others. What motivated Paul was his love for God, and that took and led him into loving people just as a nursing mother cares for her. When we really love people, we should be willing to share two things with them, the gospel and our lives. The most loving thing we can do is share the gospel with people and our lives. And here's the thing. Both of those illustrate sacrifice. The gospel or the good news of Jesus, right? That he left the perfection of heaven to come and die on your behalf to fix the greatest problem you have, which is your sin. And that by fixing that, everything else would start the process of redemption. And as he did that, that's a a pattern of sacrifice, Right, Community takes sacrifice, and Jesus did that in the essence of why he came to this earth. The other mark, to share our life, is also a mark of sacrifice. And if we want to share the gospel, we've got to be willing to share our lives as well. Our lives, though, can't detract from the gospel. They should reflect the gospel. And sometimes that has been the case where we've had people in our society or other societies that were happy to share the good news of Jesus, but then their lives didn't match up with it. Well, you might be asking the question today, what caused them to love each other so much? We found out later it was because of God, that they loved God so much that they recognized that they needed to share the gospel and they needed to share their own lives. We've encouraged many of you to be a part of what's called the 21-day challenge around sharing our faith, our one life challenge. And over the last week, starting last week into the next two weeks, the goal is to prepare, to pray, and to think about how could I share my faith with somebody? Not in a flippant way, but in a way that makes sense. And for those of you who have built relationships with people, right? This isn't encouraging you to go stand on the street corner, although if that's what God leads you to, knock yourself out. But just with the people you interact with. Because our lives should represent something different. And if it doesn't, then that's the first change we got to make. Or we got to ask ourselves, do we really understand the gospel? Because if we understand what God has done for us, our lives will look differently. The other thing that's interesting about this particular area at this time, the region of Macedonia, one, Paul was being persecuted every time, everywhere he went. But the other thing that was happening was there was famine throughout the land. We don't get this from this particular letter, but later in the New Testament, we find out that this is the case. The Macedonian churches, to Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, those are all commended for their generosity in spite of this tremendous famine and issues that they're facing social scientists have estimated that the reason that the United States has faced such an epidemic of individualism all corresponds with the lack of conflict. Meaning when our lives are going well, we think we bought into the lie, we don't need anybody. In World War II, or into the Vietnam War, when those conflicts ended that were costing our nation, both young men and women, but also everybody to play their part. Remember World War II, you had to give your extra metal or your, your cooking oil or whatever you had to help the war effort. There was a community environment where we were gonna love one another, even though we never see the benefits of it. When that ended, the rise of individualism skyrocketed in our country. And so why did they do it? One, they loved God, but two, they faced tremendous persecution. The second thing that community requires is for you to set yourself aside. And this is where we really don't like it. Uh, We're happy to give up a weekend and go serve somebody to do something somewhere. Most of us, we could probably be twisted our arm into getting there. But when we have to set ourselves aside, that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where it starts to become difficult to love one another, right? You can love one another outside of a traditional community, but where we've been called to live all the one another commandments of scripture indicate that you've got to live in community together. Not necessarily in some sort of weird cult vibe, but in the way that it is moving beyond just a Sunday morning gathering to a people that you belong to. And so that this would be an expression, just one expression of the community in which we're called to live. Paul wants to make clear in verse nine, he says this, He says, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Paul wants to make clear that everybody understands that he was not doing it for financial gain. Right? When he would go into a city, he would go into the synagogue. He would reason with the Jews to help them see that Jesus was the Messiah. But he often would be doing his other job, which was tent making. And he would be a tent maker so that he wasn't a burden, especially to these people who are starving, that he wasn't a burden to those people. Paul says, look, you know how night and day I work. We read later in Philippians that oftentimes Paul would prepare into the night because he spent all day working at his normal job, take a break, and then go and preach the gospel to these people. When we look at what community requires, it requires us to set aside our own desires. One of the most necessary components of loving others in community is humility. Paul could have really easily said, I'm an apostle, I've seen Jesus, uh, you know, just do what I say. But he didn't. He was willing to get a job to prepare for himself and to provide for himself so that he wasn't a burden to these people who were literally starving. When we all should be willing to set aside our titles, our prestige, our desires to serve and love other people. Now, we all have good reasons to avoid community, right? And if we were to go around the room, we'd all have a reason, I guarantee it but they're not necessarily very good reasons. One of the most helpful books I've read recently is a book that's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And if you've not read this book, I would encourage you to do it. Um, And in that book, it's basically how you share the gospel and how you share your life. For me, it's like if somebody asked me the gospel, I feel like I could convey that fairly decently. But willing to share my life is like a whole other issue for me because it's my life and I'm selfish and I wanna do what I wanna do. But Rosaria in this book, Rosaria Butterfield, it lays out a couple things. And she had this quote that stood out to me. Knowing your personality and your sensitivities does not excuse you from ministry. It just means you might need to prepare for it differently than others do. And what she was meaning by this is that uh, you may say, well, I'm not a people person. Or I've worked all day. Or whatever your reason is for why you don't want to do it, and I've got them too. She says, look, knowing your personality and your sensitivity doesn't excuse you from ministry. You just have to prepare for it differently. So I have to do this. Um, If you catch me on a Monday or Tuesday, I'm probably pretty decent and generally happy. You catch me on like a Friday, I'm done. I just, I hit my limit of people, right? I'm not throwing any parties on Friday. Some of you like Friday and Saturday, it's your Super Bowl. You're all ready to go. For me, I just want to shut it down for the weekend, And what she's saying though, is that, look, that doesn't excuse me from, if I run into an opportunity to be involved with community, I shouldn't completely avoid that. I should understand myself well enough to know I got to prepare differently for that. And my wife is in the process of helping me through this, uh, to help me figure out what's the best way to do that. Right? We all have a limit with people. Every one of us do. Some of you, your limit is way up here and some of you is way down here. But that doesn't excuse us from the job that God's called us to do, which is to love one another. And knowing yourself is one of the best ways to do that. The third thing that community requires is for us to live authentically. And Paul just keeps hammering home this idea, right? He, he doesn't even mean to do it. He just kind of is talking about, this is why I did what I did. And for us today, we look at this and it seems so foreign, but community requires us to live authentically. And this is where community gets hard because when you choose to live authentically, you invite people in so they can spot your lies. They can spot the cracks in your own character. And this becomes difficult because nobody wants to do this. But look at what Paul says in verse 10 through 12. He says, you are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Right, he's saying, look, I did it for the right reasons. I wasn't trying to do it for financial gain. It was because I genuinely loved you. I wanted to share the gospel and I was willing to share my life with you as well. He says, look, you know that I was holy, blameless, and righteous. Righteous is that word that he was right living, if you wanna think of it that way. Blameless, that he wasn't doing it for his own benefit, but for the benefit of others that he had a holy mission beside him of what he was trying to accomplish. Verse 11 says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom. If community requires us to live authentically, he gives the picture at first of a mother, and then he gives a picture towards the end here of a Father. And a good father and a good mother want to take care of their kids. And a good father, I've learned this, that I know the flaws of my kids. And my dad knew my flaws and knows my flaws. And the response to that is encouragement, is comforting, and urging them to do better. When we come to know each other authentically, some of the times we hide those parts because we're afraid of what people might think, what they might say, what they might do. And Paul says, look, I live before you holy, blameless, and righteous, and I live before you as a father who is willing to encourage, urge, and comfort you to live a life worthy of the calling of God and to be worthy of the kingdom. Dads, you understand this in the room. Mothers, you understand this in the room. You see those cracks in your child's character and your response is not to turn and run, but to encourage them, to comfort them, and to urge them to do better. That's gotta be our response to one another. When we see it, it's certainly right that we would call out, if, if I'm doing something wrong, I expect somebody here to come tell me that I'm doing it wrong. But the way in which we do it is like a father who loves his own children, who's willing to challenge and push back, but to urge and to comfort and to encourage We find that when we live authentically with one another, it's not a condemnation necessarily. It might need to be at times, but it's an encouragement. And that we can encourage one another all the more when we come to know each other more authentically. The last part that he tells us there in verse 12, he urges us to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. It seems like oftentimes that God, what he's doing on this earth, is preparing us for what will be. And in a very real sense, the kingdom of God exists now, both here and in heaven. But one day, the kingdom of God will be complete, and it'll be all the way that it's supposed to be, without the problems of sin and selfishness and everything else. And it seems like what God may be trying to do with the command to love one another is to prepare us for what one day will be. And yes, we get glimpses of it at times, we get moments where we see it, that it's like this is how it's supposed to be, but then if you have anyone you live with or close with at all, you see there's a lot of times where there's a fracture, or there's a problem where it doesn't look as clear. And Paul says, look, just as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You know, by comparison, the church in Thessalonica was in really good shape. I mean, they didn't have a whole lot of money, um, but they didn't have the problems of Corinth. They didn't have uh, some of the other issues that some of the other churches struggled with. But Paul commends them for one thing in later on in the letter that I want to spend a little bit of time looking at. If you want to flip a page over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, He says this, Now about your love for one another, we don't need to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Paul tells the people later on in the letter that, Look, I don't need to tell you to love people because you love God. And because you love God, you should love people. He literally is, it's a mirrored command of what Jesus gave us in John chapter 13. And one of the great things about this particular church is that they were doing that. And it says they weren't even doing it necessarily just with their own group of people. What's he say? Throughout all of Macedonia, verse 10. These people were living out this command everywhere. But his response is, yet we urge you brothers and sisters to do so more and more. And that's where we end our time today is that for many of you, yes, you love people around you. And you do so in community when you're willing to sacrifice, when you're willing to set yourself aside, and when you're willing to... I just forgot the third one. (laughs) Flip over, sorry. When you're willing to live authentically. When you're willing to do those things, then that's what God's called us to do. And... Paul's response to this church who's already doing really, really well at this is to do so more and more. If every single one of us would evaluate our own self in real time right now, how am I doing at loving one another? And I'm sure there's people that you're doing this great with. There's some people that you're probably doing it like middle of the road with, and some people you've pretty much written off. If every single one of us would do just a little bit more to love people just a little bit more, to love one another in just a little more the whole church would just raise up because you're interacting with people that I won't interact with and vice versa. And so the call for you and for me today is, look, many of you are loving people well, do so more and more. Do so in whatever way God leads you to. I saw a perfect example of this last night. Uh, Michael and Lori Young hosted a dinner for people who had been in the United States in this area for like less than a couple years. And there was like five different nationalities represented here last night, multiple languages. I didn't have a clue what they were saying most of the time. But they just wanted to bless these people. And you, I can't tell you how appreciative these people were. And how a simple meal put together by Michael and Lori and many others of you came and helped, encouraged those people. And so we're doing things like this as a church. You are doing things like this. And the call from Paul is do it more. Now, selfishly, I lead all of our groups and classes and things that happen here. And so I think that's a great way to have community and a great way to love one another. But it's not the only way. We have like over 30 small groups and classes and a Tuesday women's Bible study and a Wednesday men's Bible study and various ones that meet in the morning. And there's all kinds of ways. If you're looking for a way to get involved, to get to know other people, to move beyond just Sunday morning, then absolutely, uh, when you walk out of here, talk to Marcy Abbey. They'll be there at the booth in the back. But it's not the only way. Many of you are finding ways far beyond the reach of whatever happens here throughout the week. And I want you to do that more and more. But for all of us, that's the case, right? No group is perfect. No community is perfect. I tell people all the time, we have about 31 small groups. About 10 of them are knocking it out of the park. Uh, about 10 of them are doing great. And about 10 of them are just struggling uh, for various reasons. Because community is messy, right? And it's hard. And some people are going through some really difficult things and they're just struggling to help each other through it. And that's okay. But if we, call, we follow Paul's command, which really follows Jesus's command to love one another more and more, then we've all got to be okay with we're just not there yet. I'm not sure today if you want to live to the age of 100, but I know many of you want to follow Jesus. And the command is clear, that if we want to be as disciples, we've got to love one another. If you lack community, um, seek it out. It will not come find you on your own. You have to actually put yourself out there Um, No group is perfect, but I can promise you these four things if you choose to engage in community. And I use the word groups, but this could be anything, okay? Um, Number one, we can promise connection for most. Can't promise it for everybody, but for most people, if you choose to invest in community, whether it's through a group or some other method, you're gonna be connected with one another. Most of you will. Some of you may not. And just as we wouldn't write off doctors, we aren't gonna write off community because we didn't connect quite well enough. We're going to go find something else. Number two, we can promise growth for many. You realize that all of the one another commands in scripture, along with the general pattern of the New Testament is they were growing, reading, praying, singing. It was all a together thing. And while I think it's so important that you spend time reading God's word in your own time and in your own way, there are things that come out in community that you'll just never pull out on your own. And so many of you are going to grow. Um, Number three, We can promise a path to community for some. It doesn't always happen, but a lot of times that that idea of community does happen when you choose to engage with other people, when you choose to love one another. And here's the last one, the most important one. We can promise a ministry for you. If you approach community and loving one another with what can I get out of it, you will be disappointed every single time. You just will. If you think, I, what can I get out of doing this Bible study? Or what can I get? If you approach it that way, you will be disappointed every single time. But if you think, what can I do to encourage, to urge, to comfort, to help? What can I do to use my gifting to, to help others on? If you approach it that way, you're about to tap into a part of yourself that's given by the power of God that you've never experienced before. Because community requires sacrifice. It requires you to let yourself be put to the side. And it requires us, to live authentically. Paul's desire for you and for me today was not that we're not trying to get something from you. Like, I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. I don't care how many groups we have. That doesn't matter. We want you, something for you, to live in a way that Jesus called you to live. And that sometimes happens in groups and it sometimes happens in Bible studies and it sometimes happens at a dinner that's here on a Saturday night that nobody knows about and that's okay. So love one another, but do so more and more. That can only happen by the power and blessing of God. So let's ask him for that help today. God, thank you so much for the opportunity today to be reminded of the fact that we're called to love one another. And God, I know that that is... um, not necessarily my forte at all times. I know that's something that for all of us, that we could do more. Not in a sense of checking another box off, but because God, we recognize that you love us and that you care for us and that you literally died for us so that we could be right in community with you and right in community with others. And God, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you today, I would have just encouraged them to reach out to myself or others to find out what it means to have a relationship with you. But God, for most of the people in this room, I'm I'm trusting that's the case and trusting God that we all want to be disciples of your son, Jesus. And what seems at this moment like a daunting task is so easy for you. And so God, help us this week to love the people that we encounter. God, I know there's people who are lonely in this room and who are fearful. I pray that you'd give them courage to reach out and ask for help. And God, that we would be a place that not only loves you, but is known by our love. And that God, that our love would be seen in, in the relationships that we have. That God, that the world might know that we're your disciples because of the way that we love one another. We know we can't do this on your own. So Holy Spirit, help us do that today. In Jesus' name.